wonderful chapter this is. I think we, we, myself included, fall short of really comprehending all that's in here. But it is certainly beautiful. And uh, we can glean great truths from it. John chapter 17, as you know, we're going through the Gospel of John verse by verse. And uh, we're going to start in verse 17 in just a moment. I want to say Happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. And uh, we're going to recognize fathers in just uh, a few moments. Uh, John chapter 17. This is the, called the High Priestly Prayer. This is Jesus' prayer before he goes into Gethsemane. Now we know he, he prayed in Gethsemane. But this was a prayer still on his way. Chapter 18, verse 1, tells us when he was through praying, then they headed towards the garden, that is the garden of Gethsemane. So this, again, is along the way. And uh, we looked at uh, verses 1 through 16. We're going to start in verse 17. This chapter has been called by some the Holy of Holies of sacred scripture and it certainly is a holy place where Jesus pours out his heart to the Father and in this prayer we see Jesus intimacy with the Father we see his heart we see his love for his followers for us and we see uh, we see an example too for us to pray concerning the things that uh, he prayed for. He prayed for God's glory and for spiritual realities. That'd be a good thing for us to pray not only for ourselves but for each other. Spiritual realities. And uh, so, beautiful passage. Well, I want to go back to verse 1 and just read verse 1 again to remind you of the setting. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes towards heaven. In other words, the the words he had said prior to that, the upper room discourse, again, this is the evening before the cross. It's getting closer and closer now to his arrest. And so after he had said these words, then he lifted up his eyes towards heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Five times in the Gospel of John, Jesus had said his hour had not come. But now the hour had come. The hour of going to the cross to fulfill the purpose, the main purpose of his coming. He says, The hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Now, move over to verse 17. This is where we'll start today. Verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Jesus is praying. Sanctify them, his followers, through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together today. Make it profitable, I ask. Encourage our hearts. Teach us. We are here looking at this holy place. And we pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last week, I told you about this uh, pastor friend and how God answered prayers about the house they bought. It reminded Karen and I of something that happened to us many years ago. Forty years ago, we were pastoring at another church, and we were here in Greensboro, and um, we were looking for a house. We didn't have much money, 
So we were looking for something that was a really good bargain, you know. And uh, so we found this little house that's set in the woods, back in the woods. It was small, 900 square feet. And, uh, uh, but we just loved it. And we, we felt like in our hearts it was, it was God's will and that that's the house we felt like the Lord wanted us to have. And so we talked to the owners and, and they told us what they had to have and everything. And they had to have $5,000 down payment. Now they wanted to finance the house themselves so they could earn the interest, you know. Uh, so they had that set up at the bank. But they wanted $5,000 down. We knew this couple. The wife was a sweet, sweet Christian. And Karen and I have known her for, uh, for years before that. And uh, she loved the Lord. Her husband was an unbeliever. And he was a good man, a hard-working man and so forth, an honest man, but he was an unbeliever and he was rather stern in his unbelief. I had tried to witness to him in the past and he would stop you. When you, just when, you <laughs> when he could tell what you were doing, you know, he'd stop you, say, just stop right there. He said, if you want to talk about those religious things, you can talk to his wife. He said, talk to her. I don't talk about those things. And so he refused to even talk about them. Um, so I had tried to witness to him in the past uh, with no uh, success. At any rate, so they're the ones that own the house. And uh, so $5,000 down, Karen and I prayed about that. We sought the Lord and we scraped together every penny we could and we um, sold some things and I even borrowed money from my mom and dad. <laughs> Good old mom and dad, huh? And uh, we borrowed money for them and when we got it all together and everything totaled up, we had $2,000 instead of five. I mean, we were way off. But we knew we couldn't raise anything else. And so... We had been to see the house many times, and, uh, but on this occasion, I called the owner, and he said he'd meet me over at the house. So my, my point was, my purpose was to tell him we, we just, you know, couldn't afford it and, and thank him for his time and, and uh, sorry he went through, you know, all that time of showing us the house and so forth because I wanted to make a, have a good testimony with him. So we, we chit-chatted some and small talk, walked around the house, looked again. We're standing down in the backyard, and n no one in the world except Karen and I knew that we only had $2,000. I mean, nobody. Family, no, no one. And uh, so we were down in the backyard looking up at the little house in the woods, and, and uh, I was just getting up my nerve to say... We couldn't afford it. And he said, I tell you what, preacher. He said, I'm going to come down on that down payment. He said, I'm going to cut $3,000 off of that down payment. And I was shocked. I mean, I, this was not an act of faith on my part. This was just God being good. Amen. God is good. I wasn't trusting him to do that. I wasn't even asking him to do that. I was, uh, you know, ready to say we couldn't afford it. And so he said, I'm going to come down 
$3,000, well, that's exactly what we had, 2000 so I put my hand out and said, we'll take it. And we shook hands, and uh, it's 40 years later now, we still live in the same house. Now, it is a little bigger than 900 square feet. We've added on two different times over the 40 years, so it's more like an average size, 15 to 1,800 square feet, something like that. But the Lord is good, isn't he? He's good to us through all of life. And if we'll look back and think about how he took care of us, uh, it'll help us to be thankful uh, for all the things he's done. God answers prayer. By the way, w one more thing here before we look into verse 17. A week and a half ago, we had a missionary with us, uh, Ethan Champlin. We supported his mother and father for many years. Father's in heaven now. His mother's way up in years. And Ethan and his family are continuing the mission work that they uh, had started in the jungles of Suriname. I mean, this is real jungle country. This, people, these tribes out here have no running water and they have no electricity. They have to live close enough to a river to get their water from the river and so forth. And uh, Ethan was with us a week and a half ago. Well, at dinner, Karen and I took... Ethan and his wife out to dinner and at dinner he said he was working on purchasing four new towers to put along this river uh, where there was some 30 to 50 tribes on this river there wasn't enough missionaries to reach them all so his goal was to set up four towers close enough together so that they could get uh, they could get the gospel on the radio. Now, it, not just any radio, they didn't have radios. But on top of that, then, he's got to purchase little radios for $30 each that will pick up that particular frequency. So they wouldn't pick up, you know, anything else. they just pick up that particular sequence where he's preaching and sharing the gospel and the word of God's being read and things like that uh, in their own language. So that's a project. He told about one big tower that he already, already has and a big broadcasting network, but this is a new project, and he needs four towers. Well, he failed to mention that on Wednesday night. And so when I got up to talk about the offering, I just took about 30 seconds to say another thing that Ethan is doing is he's going to put four towers, he raising the money to put four towers along this river so these 50 some odd tribes of people can hear the gospel. That's all I said. And um, that night we took up an offering as we always do. And instead of taking up, you know, three to five hundred dollars, which we would do on a Wednesday night, small crowd and with the missionaries there, we took up five thousand and three, four hundred dollars. And uh, so I, I said, man, that is, that's the highest offering we ever took on a Wednesday night, especially at the last minute, and uh, no, no preparation or anything. So uh, I asked the people, uh, uh, Rosa, who counted the money and so forth, I said, are you sure, that's, are you, sure you didn't make a mistake in there or, or something? And she said, no, one person gave a large amount. And that large amount was $5,000. Well, the next day, I told Ethan Champion, Champlin the amount of the offering. 
And he was so thankful. First thing he said was, that will pay for one of the towers. One of those four towers, they originally cost $5,000. You buy them in the States, it costs to ship them and put them up. But, but that $5,000 would pay for one of those towers. Isn't that wonderful how the Lord supplies and answers prayer? It was a beautiful thing. And, uh, of course, causes the, the cause of Christ to go forward. Now, we, no one had said that's how much a tower cost. And, uh, and yet he gave just the right amount to pay for that first tower. Praise the Lord. God's interested in all of those things. Where we live, the house we live in, and meeting our needs financially. He's interested in all of those things. But in this passage, we see that Jesus prayed about the glory of the Father and spiritual realities for his people. I think it's wonderful for us to pray for things and for God to meet our needs because he's promised to do so. And those are certainly good subjects for prayer. But let's not forget these weightier subjects of God's glory and spiritual realities. Now, this chapter falls into three natural divisions. If you look at your screen, let me just remind you of those. Uh, and uh, uh, Jesus, this is an outline of, of this chapter. Jesus prayed concerning his glory and the Father's glory. And uh, then he prayed for his true believers. And then he prayed for future believers. That's us. Even though that, that second category applies to us as well. And, and under those categories, now he prayed when he prayed for himself and his glory and the Father's glory. He prayed about his glory in the cross and his glory in the... Uh, am I not controlling this, gentlemen? In heaven, it should say in heaven up there. His glory in heaven, there it is. And his glory in uh, uh, the church. That is, through his people which make up the church. And then, uh, this, that second section, true believers, this is what he prayed for. He prayed for us, for security. He prayed for unity. He prayed for joy. He prayed uh, for deliverance from the evil one for us. Now, that's where we left off last week. This week, we're going to pick it up. He prayed for our sanctification. We just read that in verse 17. And then he prayed for service and evangelism concerning us. And then we go to that third section, which is for future believers, of course, which is us in particular. All of those things apply, but these in particular calls, calls our name. He prayed for oneness. He prayed for us to have a testimony in the world. He prayed for intimacy between us and him and the Father. And he prayed for love, that we would know and experience uh, that love and then fellowship with him and with the Father. Now with that said, look at verse 17. Jesus says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Now the word sanctify, the word itself means to set apart. To set apart, when it's used in, in a Christian sense, it means to set apart for God's use, for God himself, and for his use, for his purpose. So set them apart from the world, set them apart for your purposes and for yourself. 
Now, when it comes to the doctrine of sanctification, that's a little different than just the word itself. You put together all the times the word is used in Scripture and you have the doctrine of sanctification. And that is that once we get saved, God begins to work on us and that's sanctification. When we get saved, we have justification. That comes in a second. As soon as we believe, we are justified. And, uh, but sanctification takes place over our whole lifetime. God is changing us. And he's molding us into the image of Christ. That's sanctification. One day when we get caught up to heaven, that's glorification. And we'll be glorified, have a glorified body like his. But right now what's going on is sanctification in all of our lives. He's working on us to make us like Jesus. And then notice... We are sanctified through the truth. And then he defines the truth as thy word. So it's the word of God. That's the primary tool God uses to sanctify us, to change us, to mold us into the image of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 is a beautiful passage and it says, and I'm paraphrasing, it says uh, that as we behold the Lord... And his glory, and we do so in the word, as we behold the Lord in his glory, we are changed. We are being changed, continually changed from one, one level of glory to another level of glory into the image of Christ. As we behold him in the word, we are changed, sanctified, set apart, made into the image of Christ more and more. What a beautiful, beautiful passage. Somebody said to me some years ago that I should preach on the family more. And, uh, and I've, you know, preached many series on the family, and that's a good thing to preach on. People need that and so forth. But I said, and this person didn't mean anything uh, uh, mean about it at all. But I said to this person, I said, if, if I preach on, uh, if I'm preaching the Word of God, and the Word of God sanctifies us, then in a sense, I'm preaching something every Sunday that's going to benefit your marriage. Because if you're more like Christ, you're going to have a better marriage. If your husband's more like Christ, you're going to have a better marriage. And so you don't have to preach on that particular subject to help people who are married. You don't have to preach on bitterness all the time. You don't have to preach on anger. People who have an anger problem are going to be helped by the Word of God which sanctifies and is changing them into the image of Christ. You don't have to preach on racism because when we're filled with the Spirit and we're becoming more and more like Christ, there won't be any racism. And as I said back a few weeks ago, there's certainly no place for racism in the church. And so we preach the Word and the Word sanctifies. But not only preaching, we need to get in the Word ourselves every day. We need to be saturated with the Bible because it's the Word that's changing us. Here's some other great things the Word does. Look back at your screen for a moment. The Word also produces faith. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Maybe you feel like your faith is weak. Maybe the reason it's weak is because you've neglected the thing that's going to produce faith. And then uh, we have 
John 15, 3, Now are you clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. The word cleans our lives up. And then it makes our prayer life fruitful. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. And then John 8, the word sets us free. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. Indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And here's some others, just quickly. The word of God comforts us. The word of God builds us up. The word of God gives victory over the devil. The word of God causes us to grow. And if you're not a believer, the word of God will bring you to that place of salvation, believing on Christ. And so it's important that you and I make much of the Word of God. Let the Word of God saturate our hearts. I recommend to people who are not in the Word now, I always recommend it starting with one chapter a day. Maybe in the, in the book of John even, one chapter a day, or start in the book of Mark and then read through the New Testament. But be sure you're in the Word. It's the Word that sanctifies. Jesus prays for our sanctification. He wants us to, to be sanctified. He wants us to be happier. You know, the more you grow in grace and get more like Jesus, the more joy you have, the more peace you have, the more you can handle the difficulties of life and the Lord's strength and, and so on and so forth. So he prays for their sanctification, for our sanctification. And then look at verse 18. As thou hast sent me, he says to the Father, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. Now Jesus was sent into the world for a purpose. He had a purpose to reveal the Father and to go to the cross and purchase our redemption. So he had a mission. He had a purpose. He was sent by the Father. And now he says, we are sent as well. Let's tie in verse 19. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So Jesus has set his self apart to do the Father's will all the way to the cross, so that we could be made new and sanctified by the truth. Now in this verse we see service, and we see evangelism. He has sent us into the world. Just like he was sent. That means we have a purpose. There's a plan for us. The Father has a plan. The Lord Jesus has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And we have a mission. And that mission is to reach the lost with the gospel of Christ. Now we do that in a big way through our missionary program and every. Uh, around the world, but also as individuals. We need, to ha we need a place of service. We need to be doing something that helps people come to Christ. Inviting them to church would be a wonderful way to do that. A anybody and everybody can invite people to church. You know, as the statistics say, a lot of people say they would come to church if they had a personal invitation from someone. So uh, keep trying. And uh, But there's Wherever you serve, see it as a part of the mission of reaching people. For instance, if you mow the grass 
and uh, then see that as a mission because if the, if the grass doesn't look good, if everything looks unkept out there, some people wouldn't want to come to church and hear the gospel. So if you, you, you got it looking good and neat and it's attractive and people come in, hear the gospel. Same thing keeping the nursery. You keep the nursery <coughs> and you can see it as a part of the mission because you're keeping someone's child so they can come in and hear the Bible taught and preached and it'll edify believers, and it will bring the lost to Christ. And so this word sent, this should be compared to the Great Commission, which Jesus would give to the church sometime in the next 40 days, where he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's the thing we're sent. That's the mission wherewith you and I are sent to have a part of it. And um, so this is, a, this is a great passage to encourage us that we have a part in the Lord's work. This past Thursday, we had our Gap Kids here, which we always do, 60-plus kids. Miss Christie teaches them, I think, twice a day from the Bible. But then also on Thursday... The gap ministry goes on every day. On Thursday, Denya and her team brought another 60-plus kids to our church. And uh, they were outside and had all kinds of snacks and, and uh, games and a Bible lesson and all kinds of wonderful stuff. It's just a beautiful thing to see. And uh, we brought all, uh, they, not me, I had nothing to do with it, but they brought all these children in, and it was just a beautiful, beautiful thing. VBS is this coming week. It takes a lot of people to do something like bring 60 kids in. Believe me, there was a lot of our church workers out there. And... Uh, it takes a lot of people to run a Bible school, so we want you to, if you don't have a part as far as serving in that Bible school, then we want you to pray for the Bible school. Uh, it's the, it's, statistically, it shows that most all evangelical churches win more people to the Lord during the Bible school week than any other time of the year. And so that's been true in our case over the years as well. So pray for that. And then last week, Karen and I were blessed. Karen and I had the privilege of leading a sweet lady to Christ right up there in my office. And then later in the week, I had the privilege of leading a young man who's a father and, uh, to Christ right there in my office. And they're both uh, uh, are saying they're going to be baptized in, a, in uh, a baptism coming up in about a month or so. That's exciting things, isn't it? We can have a part in that. And we do all of us have a part and a place to serve. It's wonderful. I told Karen, I said, I said it's wonderful when... Uh, instead of going out and looking for people, which the Bible tells us we should do, God's just sending them to, sending them to us, you know. And uh, He is good. So we have verse 18 and 19. Look at verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Now he's talking about the future of all believers. And uh, he prays not only for them. In other words, he's praying for his disciples that are present, but he's also praying for all the disciples that will come in the future. 
And that's me and you. I've often said we, you and I could write our name right beside that verse. Because there we are, future uh, believers. So he says, uh, he prays for us as well. Now notice what he prays for. Here comes some spiritual realities as well. That they may all be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Now in this we see, first he prays for oneness. Oneness. That the church will be in unity, serving together. The whole church, the body of Christ, and then individual, belief, in individual assemblies like our church here that will be in unity and in oneness. And then he says that oneness will affect our testimony. Notice it again in verse 21. Uh, he prays for unity that, halfway through, that they also may be one, that the world may believe. So part of this oneness is not just so you and I can enjoy good fellowship and and unity, part of this oneness is for a testimony to those who don't believe. When they see God's people loving each other and, and uh, helping each other, it helps the lost people to see the reality of the Christian faith. And this is a beautiful thing. Oneness. Oneness. When I think of oneness, often I think of that passage in... Revelation chapter 5, it's a scene of heaven in the future, of all the redeemed of the ages. And they're, they're, they're saying together, this great number that you couldn't number, well beyond numbering, this great number is saying, Worthy art you, O Lamb, the, the Lord Jesus, the Lamb who was slain and hath redeemed us from every tribe and every nation, every people group, every ethnic background, from everywhere around the world, you see those people in heaven in your, in your mind and in your heart, and you see they're all different colors, and they're, all, uh, they're from all different backgrounds and people groups, but the one thing they have in common is they've been redeemed by the blood. And so there's, they're praising him for redeeming us by thy blood out of every kindred and tribe and nation. That's a beautiful sight. The kids that came, if you remember the, those kids, that one group that Denia ministers to and her team, they come in that one neighborhood. <clears throat> they come from 11 different countries. That's remarkable, isn't it? I think the Lord sent them there for Denia myself. Eleven countries. Now here Sunday, there was, there was every color of skin tone you could think of out there. And it was beautiful as they all uh, uh, rejoiced together and had that wonderful time. Oneness affects our testimony. There is no destructive, more destructive testimony than someone that's always grumbling and complaining about uh, other Christians. It turns lost people away. 
And so he prays that we will be experience this oneness and also uh, have a testimony coming from that. Look at verse 22. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. There's the oneness again, but notice this other phrase. What kind of glory has he given us that, like the Father gave him? Well, Paul answers that in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27, where he says, here's, here's the mystery of the glory of God. It is Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. I mean, that's the glory that we have. We have the person of Christ living in us. That treasure in an earthen vessel. Even though we're still earthen vessels and we're still made of clay and we're, we still are uh, uh, failing and fragile and make mistakes, yet Christ himself comes to live in us. That's the glory that he has given us himself in our hearts. And then look at verse 23. I in them and thou in me. There's the answer again. Here's how he gave us glory. I in them and thou in me. That means if we have him, we have the Father as well, of course. That they may be perfect in one. Now the word perfect is the Greek word teleos. We know no one is perfect even in their peace or even in their oneness. Uh, the word teleos means completeness. He wants them to be completely one. Uh, that they may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Here we see the intimacy. He's, he's saying that the Father and the Lord Jesus love us as much as the Father loves the Son. Wow. It's a remarkable truth, isn't it? And He loves us. Now, we know that verse starts out with, I in them and thou in me. We know that He dwells in us, but Beyond that, he wants us to enjoy that indwelling. He wants us to experience that love. Not just know it mentally, but enter into it and experience the love that God has for us. That is as, as glorious and strong as the love the Father has for the Son. Wow. And... He wants us to enjoy that fellowship. We certainly should do so. Look at verse 24. He says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Now he prays that all of us believers through all the ages, will one day see him in his glory. That goes back to that great scene I described a few moments ago when that scene in heaven and they're praising him 
for his precious blood and we shall see his glory. Verse 25, O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. They believed who he was, that he was sent from the Father, that he was who he claimed to be, God in the flesh, the Messiah, the only Savior. They believed all of that. And then he says, And I have declared unto them thy name. Now, in the Bible, the word name means the person themselves. The... Um, it means their character, their attributes. In this sense, he's saying, I have declared your person to them. I have declared who you are and what you're like unto them. Even to the point, remember, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the Father and I are one. And then he says, I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Again, that they might enjoy my presence and enjoy and bask in your love. So we come to the end of this great chapter. I've got a little summary here that I thought's worth reading to you by Dr. Warren Wiersbe. Listen to it. It says, As you review this prayer, you see the spiritual priorities that were in the Savior's heart. One, the glory of God. The sanctification of God's people. The unity of the church. The ministry of sharing the gospel with a lost world. We today would be wise to focus on these same priorities. Yeah. Chapter 4, I mean, not chapter 4, verse 4 of this prayer, Jesus said, I've finished the work you've given me to do. I have glorified your name. You and I one day will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could say we finished the job you gave us to do and we glorified you with our lives and with our service. We're going to see the video I started out with that verse 1 like I did in the message. So you'll see verse 1 and then it'll move on to verse 17 because we saw the first 16 verses last week. Notice when it talks about oneness, when Jesus talks about oneness, it'll show scenes of Jewish people and then it'll show scenes of the Greek people. The, how you can tell the, the biggest difference is all the Jews wore beards and the Greeks did not. And uh, so you see a group of Greeks. And then you see some Romans riding on horses. So whether you're rich or poor, black or white, whether you're Jewish or Gentile, or whether you're rich or poor, we are to be, experience this oneness with each other. This beautiful oneness. Well, let's watch the video. After Jesus finished saying this, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Give glory to your Son, so that the Son may give glory to you. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. But I do ask you to keep them safe from the evil one. 
Just as I do not belong to the world, they do not belong to the world. Dedicate them to yourself by means of the truth. Your word is truth. I sent them into the world just as you sent me into the world. And for their sake, I dedicate myself to you in order that they too may be truly dedicated to you. I pray not only for them, but also for those who believe in me because of their message. I pray that they may all be one. Father, may they be in us, just as you were in me and I am in you. May they be one so that the world will believe that you sent me. I gave them the same glory you gave me, so that they may be one just as you and I are one. I in them and you in me. So that they may be completely one, in order that the world may know that you sent me and that you love them as you love me. Father, you have given them to me, and I want them to be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, the glory you gave me. For you loved me before the world was made. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you sent me. I made you known to them, and I will continue to do so, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and so that I also may be in them. God answers prayer, doesn't he? This is a beautiful prayer. I encourage you to keep praying. Keep praying. You know, the man at the beginning of the message, I told you, we bought the house from. He was not a believer. He wouldn't even listen. But Karen and I and others prayed. We've been, we prayed for him for 35, 40 years. His wife prayed for him for over 50 years. We got a call about five years ago that said he had trusted Christ as his Savior. Close to 80 years old. God answers prayer. Don't give up. Keep praying. Praying for your loved ones. Praying, and God hears and answers. Bow with me, please. Maybe you'd say, Preacher, I've got some people in my family that are not believers. And I've been encouraged today to pray for them and to keep praying for them and not to stop. If that's your heart today, no one's looking but me, would you slip your hands up and say, I've got a loved one that's laid on my heart this morning. Yes. God bless you all over the room. You may put them down. We can pour out our soul before the Lord. What a beautiful example this is for us. Father, bless us now in these next moments. If decisions need to be made for you to again start reading your word or again to start praying whatever those needs are may we lay them at your feet this morning commit ourselves to you we ask it in Christ's name amen stand with me please if you would we're going to sing a hymn of invitation if you'd like to come we invite you to do so you can just come and kneel if you need help somebody will pray with you Let's sing together.
so much. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Before you're seated, let's pray one time together for those that raise their hands, have loved ones. Father, you, you know our hearts, you know our families, and today people all over the auditorium raise their hands concerning a lost loved one. May they never quit praying until you bring them to yourself. We pray for them now as a church body, as a church family. We pray for every one of those loved ones represented in those raised hands. Draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.